immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Hello and welcome back to the new season of the Immersive Audio Podcast. We hope you've had a really good holiday break wherever you are in the world. I'd like to make some announcements. We're changing a few things up and hopefully you'll find the show more engaging, but more on this later. Firstly, I'd like to mention that we've joined the Audio Podcast Alliance, a great initiative by a sound effect team. The members include Location Sound Podcast, Soundworks Collection, Tone Benders, 20,000 Hertz, and many more. Please make sure to check out their podcast trailers at the end of our show. Today, I'm joined by our co-host Bjorn Jacobson, perhaps a familiar voice for some of you. He's a AAA game sound designer and online educator and a heavy user of Krotos tools, as we found out a few episodes ago. Bjorn, welcome again. Thank you for having me and uh, welcome to the podcast, everybody. It's been a while since I've been making podcasts myself, but I'm really looking forward to making these series with Oliver here so that we can get you the latest news and everything that's been going on in the audio design world and hopefully have a great time together. Our today's guest is a sound editor and dubbing mixer, Alan Salabang from ADB Sound. You'll hear an interview with Alan in the moment. But first, let's talk about some of the latest news that have been happening in the past few weeks. So Bjorn, what's been happening? I guess I'll kickstart with um, something that has uh, sort of been bubbling away in the background for quite some time, but uh, looks like uh, finally uh, it's been sort of announced formally and being really pushed on marketing side of things. And what I'm talking about is Sony 360 Reality Audio somewhat crept up on us as a, a new announcement um, in January. Let's talk about it. So some of you probably have come across or have heard about Sony 360 one way or the other. I've been using a beta version of, of the tools that look rather different compared to the, the commercial tools that have been released or rather announced um, at this time. So what is 360 Reality Audio? So according to these guys, it's a new immersive music experience using Sony's spatial sound technologies, dynamically place and control individual sounds in 360 spherical sound field and immersive listeners in sound from all around. So obviously it looks like it's being targeted to music industry, um, professionals who work in the music industry, uh, musicians, uh, mixing engineers, um, Whatnot. Well, essentially, it's MPEG H3D codec developed by Fraunhofer. Um, and um, in a nutshell, the format allows you to do object-based panning in, in 3D and, and um, offer the format for uh, music streaming platforms. I might be wrong, but as far as I know, the, currently the music platforms that are being supported are Deezer, Nugs.net, which I've never heard about, and obviously Tidal. These are the same pl uh, platforms that support uh, Dolby Atmos as well. So yeah, uh, there's been a lot of advertising and a lot of uh, marketing. Uh, there's a big collaboration with a music.com platform. Um, you know, there's there's a competition and various promos. 
yeah, you can check it out on uh, music.com. Uh, there's a creators program that's been recently announced as well at the same time, which you can join. Um, yeah. Um, so Bjorn, have you heard of Sony 360 Reality Audio? What do you think? I actually haven't heard specifically about Sony 360, um, but there's plenty of um, plenty of other tools where I have previously heard about how they were planning to do similar stuff, like the AR or VR solution of audio. Also, heard that Google was doing something similar, trying to trying to make it possible for everybody to have a specific uh, HRTF binaural audio experience, even on their phones. So. You know, obviously, we have a number of solutions on the market already that have been around for for a number of years, and this is like, um, I suppose, similar and slightly different to what we have at the moment. Um, by the looks of it, it it's um, the way it's being um, marketed is is basically a suite of plugins that you can use in your DAW, and will be available, you know, for Pro Tools and other kind of major DAWs. So, obviously, you have a Panner, you have a decoder all the usual stuff and and yeah but the trick is in the name it's it's sony so sony is one of the major record labels it's evident that the the tools are being heavily targeted and and kind of focused around the music industry which is exciting sony 360 reality audio is um for audio streaming and so on maybe a new thing but for quite a long time uh since the birth well not the birth of virtual reality but when virtual reality had its comeback into video game development i remember sony having as part of their sdk for unity and other game tools um as part of that to develop games for the Oculus Rift and um, their own virtual reality glasses for the PlayStation and so on. They they had these um, binaural HRTF and uh, I think the tool was even called something with 360 where it was possible to create your own quick binaural um, uh, binaural platform so that you could you could hear these games and experience these games in a stereo setup but with a full binaural kind of like 360 setup. I guess Sony is having cross-development plans in regards to all these things. Um, it's really interesting what Sony's been up to because they've been working on this for quite a long time, I remember. It wasn't the best of tools back in the day when I saw early versions of it for the virtual reality, but they've definitely gotten better. So I would expect a lot from Sony 360 reality audio to become up, not necessarily a big thing and maybe it has a breakthrough, but it would it would be significantly better than the early tools we saw for video game development back then. What's different about this is because it's MPEG-H, um, developed by Fraunhofer, which allows you to, to do object panning, uh, headlocked stems and channel-based formats, and ambisonics, all packaged in one thing at the same time. And that's its kind of unique feature. I think it, for... Like stereo and and surround sound and all that and Dolby Atmos even in home setups um, is, let's say, fine in that regard. I know a lot of people who like to, I don't know if they still do it, but like Blu-rays and DVDs, they started to release uh, multi-channel recordings of concerts where people could sit and watch their favorite artist um, from different angles in the setup and so on. Um, but I think with in the future, as part of this, then instead of just being a binaural or 360 reality setup um, of a music recording, it will be possible to 
make it even better or at least take advantage of it and then use it in your home setup. I don't know necessarily if this will take off for headphone users when they're in their daily commute and so on. It might become a thing where people sit in their living room, put on a nice quality pair of headphones and then have this 360 experience by themselves. Um, because I doubt that with noise, noise canceling and binaural HRTF doesn't necessarily go well hand in hand. Um, I think it. I think it could be a game changer for how to experience concerts at your own house, rather than it will change anything in terms of what people listen to on the go. Yeah, it's a good point, and uh, it's very likely to be the case as well. Um, these things most likely have been developing independently because obviously these two, kind of two different industries. And um, just thinking about it now, and you know what stops. Um, game developers to kind of introduce uh, integration of uh, these tools so that when composers create immersive interactive music for games in this new format uh, then can be rendered and released on a streaming platform straight away so rather than having these kind of in-game versions of those compositions and then like a st stereo renditions that are available on Spotify or whatnot, you could you can have that um, consistency. Uh, one of the massive components to all this will be the hardware itself that supports head tracking, and and that'll be a huge game changer, regardless what immersive format or platform we're talking about. And obviously, there there have been some announcements that maybe a lot of you already were about uh, in relation to Apple hardware products. Obviously, there, there's a lot of disconnect between various streaming platforms, different hardware manufacturers, different uh, flavors and variations on the theme in terms of the immersive formats. But it is heading towards some kind of, I wouldn't say uh, unification, but uh, maybe ubiquity of um, kind of general concept. And uh, once the head tracking is available uh, on, on these uh, kind of ma major streaming platforms, um, not necessarily just for music, maybe maybe for for other other things as well. That's where it's going to get really interesting, and um, we'll, we'll see a big evolution in terms of um, what's being created and how it's being consumed. But I don't want to go too much about it because um, we're planning an episode about that specifically, where we would like to go into more detail. So um, stay tuned for that. I'd like to ask you, audience, what do you think about these tools? Have you had a chance to try them out, like in the in the current current kind of uh, situation, or maybe perhaps prior when it was available as a as a as a beta version? What do you think? Have you had any experience working with these tools? Uh, please get in touch through our email podcast at one six hundred digital dot com or on Twitter. Let's move to our next news item um, just actually popped up yesterday uh, on, on my news feed on uh, YouTube. Some particles released a new plugin called Energy Panner, which is quite a neat plugin. They've got a couple of videos out there. They've got like a nice little demo where they demonstrate the kind of how the plugin operates. It's basically based on panning that uh, uses the intensity of the signal. So it's a, it's a nice creative tool and um, obviously allows some interesting manipulations across two channels uh, as well as binaural. But it also has um, uh, other immersive format settings uh, such as Dolby Atmos and channel-based surround formats and also higher order ambisonics. Yeah, check it out on their YouTube channel. 
Alan, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. Hi, thank you. Alan, how did you get into the industry? Well, it's um, I'm the son of a, a mechanical and design engineer, so uh, I've always had that tinkering imperative, that urge, you know, to tinker, to 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 find out how something works, and and such like that. And um, the other thing that was a a, a, a big event in my life in regards to this was that um, I was given my own little transistor radio with an earpiece um, and uh, because yeah that was back in the 70s when I was growing up so um, you know we had we had one radio for the family and one record player and such we didn't have a cassette deck that you could record off the records either so you know it was um yeah, all those sort of things. And uh, so being able to listen to what I wanted to listen to when I wanted to listen to it uh, was fantastic. And it happened to coincide with um, the first series of the radio series, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, which is, is, to this day, it, it still amazes me just how incredibly effective that show was at communicating an entire technicolor image in your head about what was going on. It's just um, mind-blowing how effective that was at just putting this, you know, other world, well, other galaxy, other universe into my head. And, uh, and also, being a comedy, it also helped because, you know, it breaks the ice about the accessibility and stuff such like that. And I thought, wow, this is this is fantastic. And then that was also, there was also the, um, at my school, my headmaster was a very, um, was very fond of playing, um, there was, there was a series of Bible stories recorded by Johnny Morris, the Animal Magic presenter. Um, and again, he used to do the sound effects using his mouth. Uh, so if he talked about people pouring wine, he did the type, you know, sound effects and all this sort of stuff. And again, it was about putting this image into your head. And then on a practical level, whilst he was trying to play one of these uh, recordings to a school assembly, my headmaster got the settings on the PA system completely wrong. He had the input gain at maximum and the output gain at almost minimum. So you were getting the guitar overdrive effect and it was just horribly distorted all the way, even yeah, all the time. And uh, everyone was looking at each other going, you know, this is painful to listen to and everything like that. And so I stuck my hand up and said, uh, sir, could I, could, could I fix that for you? It just made sense to me. And so I just got the two faders and inverted them. <laughs> and suddenly there was the same volume, but clear, clear as day. And uh, at the parents' evening, my headmaster told my parents about this. And uh, so I got a bit of a reputation for being able to work sound systems, understanding how they work and all this sort of stuff. And um, then I went to Comprehensive, uh, did my, you know, uh, o levels and a levels and such um and was sort of going towards electronics engineering or um 
or mechanical engineering, following the family footsteps. And uh, But then the uh, music teacher saw how I got on with their, the school's own uh, Porter Studio and the keyboards and early sequencing with a BBC Micro or, uh, or even an Atari ST if you were Flash. Um, and um, when I decided to drop music, she hauled me into her office and uh, demanded that I take it. Um, and that was fantastic because that actually gave me hands-on on the equipment and, and such like that. I was able to learn it from experience rather than from academic sort of point of view. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great sort of uh, example of a teacher spotting something in somebody and saying, you know, I don't think you realize you're good at this. And that was fantastic. That was a brilliant opportunity. So I was doing A-level design. And uh, so in that, in that uh, gig, in, in that qualification, you had to design and build and test your own thing. So I, um, I built a 16 into 4 into 2 mixing desk <laughs> from scratch. I, um, I wrote to the BBC, asked them for some generic sort of circuit diagrams, if they could, for uh, mixing desks and, and such like that. They were brilliant. They sent me back, you know, service manuals for famous consoles and circuit diagrams and all this sort of stuff. Uh, so then I designed my own circuit boards, printed them myself, used a, a very early computer-aided design software to do the drawings and, and such like that. And... Uh, built this mixing desk. Um, and uh, yeah, and that sort of established contact with then the BBC, who uh, then gave me work experience. And I then also got work experience through uh, a friend at a local facility, independent facility. And um, one day during work experience, uh, the mixer I was supposed to be shadowing didn't turn up. He had a something, I think, a car, car crash or something like that. Uh, you know, not bad, but, you know, he was delayed. And so uh, <laughs> everyone was sort of sat around twiddling their thumbs and the client turned to me and said, well, yeah, you've been here before. Can you do it? And so I did it. And, uh, yeah, dead man's shoes, basically. And, uh, yeah, so from that point on, um, that's when I uh, uh, officially entered the industry, I suppose. Um, at the time, I was doing uh, an admin job at uh, the Civil Service Department of Transport and, uh, uh, you know, to get some money in because I'd just left school. And um, the <laughs> they had... Um, so I went to my boss and said, uh, how much notice do I have to give to leave? And she said, oh, it's uh, four weeks. And I said, ah, oh, would, would, would four hours be okay? <laughs> Um, <laughs> at which point she went, yeah, okay, no, no, I know you've been using all your time off to go and do work experience in recording studios. So, uh, there, yeah, again, that was another person who said, you know, who obviously spotted, you know, this isn't your, this isn't what you want to do. Obviously, very obviously, this isn't what you want to do. So I'm not going to stand in your way of doing what you want to do. And uh, that was another great opportunity as well so um, i've been i've been very very lucky 
uh, about you know my entrance and my continuation in the industry, really. And uh, yeah, that's that that's that's the way that's the way I got into this uh, this mad game. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating, and you're still in the game. And speaking of which, you own and run. Uh, audio post-production facility, ADB Sound. Um, can you tell us more about your business? Yeah, well, um, back in uh, 2013, uh, end of 2012, I was having some issues with family health. Uh, I was working at the time at a London facility in Soho, and um, I was finding that I was having to be other places uh, to deal with family matters and such like that. Um, that coincided with the facility I was working for um, hitting a sudden financial difficulties. So um, basically I worked out how to be able to do all this stuff by remote. Uh, so that was back, that was, you know, seven, well, nearly eight years ago now. Um, and so I, you know, I was doing, uh, prep at my home studio, uh, pre-mixing stuff, mixing stuff, sending it in, doing remote stuff like that. So I was made redundant from this, uh, this company. And, um, then, uh, so I basically, you know, continued with a lot of the clients that I'd, I'd worked with before, um, and, uh, set up, uh, my own, uh, mix rooms as such. Um, but also was available for hire, you know, to go to other people's facilities as well. And so the interesting thing is, is that when you're running your own business, when you've got lower overheads, when you've got uh, more um, ability to adapt and change and, you know, be flexible with the way you work and when you work, um, it allows you to actually push further ahead than a lot of the people that you were formerly working for. So I was in the odd situation where I was going to other people's studios and finding them very much behind technically where I was myself. So I was like, well, you know, I can do this better. Um, I can do this easier for the client. I can do this easier for, for everybody involved. Um, you know, so if I need to work for a client the other side of the world, they don't need to travel across the world to work with me. And so that's been the imperative all the time. Um, I, I have occasionally had uh, physical studio locations in, in city centers um, to allow clients to come and uh, work with me. Um, I now also set up um, ADR facilities and voiceover record facilities, um, especially in the last year um, because uh with 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 covid and the pandemic there have been a whole bunch of other imperatives uh now come up to the the fore uh so um with the in general when you're recording a voice or you're recording a ADR or such like that the key to getting good results is to make sure that the artist is comfortable whether they're comfortable in what they're doing, what they're trying to achieve, or even if they're just comfortable in the situation that they they find themselves in. They don't feel under pressure. They don't feel scared for their safety. Um, they don't feel embarrassed, uh, such like that. So um, 
And one big stress on a lot of actors, um, because there have been a couple of casualties, um, there is, is the COVID pandemic. More than their career or earning ability, they've been worried about, you know, not being able to earn anymore because they're dead. So that's been one of the big elephants in the room to get out of the way. We've been working out ways to be able to record artists from uh, their own home, but in much higher quality than uh, you know the listening public has become, uh, yeah, unfortunately accustomed to uh, over the last year. Which is, you know, everybody just now shrugs off the fact that uh, you know um, a certain uh, video conferencing uh, software has terrible audio quality. They just, you know, they, they just assume that's the new normal. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be at all. Oh, God, I heard some horrible stuff. Even, like, on TV, on, like, you know, major TV channels, you know, big brands, adverts. It's like, did you record this voiceover in a, in a bathroom? And it doesn't, it doesn't cost much to do either, actually. It really doesn't cost that much. And the other thing is also getting the clients comfortable in it. So it's it's making it so that um, the clients don't really perceive any difference. Yeah, they could be one side of the glass and the artist is the other side of the glass. This just happens that that glass is a thousand miles apart. It shouldn't make any difference. And that's that's the way I've been working and that's the way I've been looking at this. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's... Um, that's that's what that's how we started. That's how we we're here now. So I mean, last year, this time last year, actually, we were ready for this, um, and and that's the way that we've sort of gone with this all the time. Not surprisingly, th this episode's hot topic is remote working and collaboration for audio, and uh, and I knew you would be a perfect person to to talk about this because you have so much experience. So. Obviously, you you start with some fundamentals, uh, making artists comfortable, or the person who delivers the goods, so to speak, the client and everybody who's involved. Can you give us a little bit more, more in depth technical overview, in terms of your experience working remotely with clients and artists um, for ADR voiceovers, etc., before and especially during recent times uh, because of COVID. Well, when um, when this all first kicked off you know almost a year ago now um the main reaction i got from a lot of the production people uh was um oh my word this is all getting too complicated this is all getting way too complicated for me you know i've got to make sure i've got to find out what internet connection the artist has and all this sort of stuff and uh, you know, find out what kit they've got. And, you know, some artists will only communicate through their agents. So you've obviously got the time delay and, and everything like that going through. It's, it, it can be a bit of a nightmare. And so the way I approached it was, okay, well, let me do that. Let me do that. I'll just sort it out. And what I will do is I will just present a, a web link to the client and uh, you know, and sort out any kit or what have you and guarantee the quality of the result and the ease of the session so that you can you can communicate in almost real time and that, you know, it literally it should not be any different from you being sat 
in the control room of a recording area with the artist the other side of a glass. Imagine that glass is the screen. You know, your, your screen is the glass. You know, that, that's, that has always been my imperative. It's always been to make everybody as comfortable in and also able to trust that what they're getting is, you know, is good enough, is, is, is as good as it can be. So, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of forethought. Um, you have to be the swan. So, you know, you, you have to have, you know, the um, ability to have, to be completely calm and unflappable above the water and paddling like hell underneath. Um, so it's it's funny. I mean, one client I actually shared a uh, selfie with um, of my control room and they went, I've just done a count. You've got seven monitors. I went, yep. <laughs> it's like, and they were like, how on earth do you keep track of all that? And I said, well, I keep track of all of it so that you don't have to. And that's the point. He said, yeah, that's the thing. It's like whenever you, when, when you, as a client, walk into a recording studio to do a voiceover or do ADR, all that prep has actually happened in the background before you even entered the building. So this is just the, all that prep happening, but in a different format. Um, so, you know, it's like the people who build the studio or build the voiceover booth, you know, they've designed it and they've, they've sorted out the acoustic problems, or maybe they haven't in some cases. Um, and, uh, you know, they that's the result of, you know, the result is the room you walk into. Whereas now, we are working out all the acoustic issues behind the scenes in such a way that you know for certain that this big-name artist that you're recording is not going to have to come back again in a month's time to re-record what you've just done. Um, and uh, the other thing also, I mean, is that we, we've had a lot of variation in the... Um, access and the uh, quality of the recording environment as well. So in some cases, we've had to uh, arrange for artists to come to us. And um, because of that, well, as an effect of that, uh, we've been working really hard with the Screen Actors Guild in the US. Um, because uh, when this all kicked off, uh, uh, yeah, obviously, I mean, the highest profile people that were going down with COVID were obviously actors, TV presenters, stuff like that. You know, people who are in the public eye. So you you notice when these people get affected by it. You also get, you also notice when the, you know, the TV series that you were supposed to be seeing the new series of in, in the spring doesn't, doesn't arrive. Um, so yeah, it's, so the Screen Actors Guild has been working way beyond any government, uh, certainly, you know, either side of this pond, uh, the Atlantic, um, in order to ensure the safety of their members. And um, I have to say, I mean, I've been absolutely, I, I, I have no problems adopting any safety procedures that they require. 
because in in my opinion, it's an insurance. It's an insurance about our industry as a whole, not as just one person. You know, that's the thing. If we if if the actors give up acting, then we've got nothing to mix. If you you, you know that's the, that's the sort of thing, and if you start getting um, uh, producers making factual without narration, because that that there there is the two types of way that you can do factual. You can have narration driven, or you can have footage driven, um, and you know the simpler way in terms of post COVID operations is uh to have non-narration driven because there's it's just another factor that you don't have to factor in um so we don't want to go away from that either uh and on the other side i was also getting a lot of artists going um you know i'm really fed up being the sound engineer and the voiceover i i just want to walk in front of a microphone do my thing and walk away i don't want to have to be messing with EQs and everything like that, and or, or having to do it several times again because the connection has dropped out at that point or gone fuzzy or what have you, you know. So, yeah, it, that's the thing. I've been absolutely fine with doing all this because to me it's about embracing the future no matter how bad it might actually be. Um, you know, we are moving into a new normal, um, this isn't going to be over for a long time yet. And so we, we need to work out a way to keep the wheels on the bus. Um, and yeah, it's remote workflow does not have to be a bind. Remote workflow doesn't have to be any different to how you were working before. And there are actually really good benefits from remote workflow in terms of um, customer satisfaction, if you want. Um, in that one of the biggest criticisms that us as in the audio industry get is that we sit here in our six-figure studios with our five-figure loudspeakers listening to the best quality sound in sterile conditions and we know the show, there's confirmation bias and stuff going on. And, you know, and when the shows get graded as well, they're done on a four or eight K grade one monitor so which actually shows blacks and shows proper contrast <laughs> so you don't get these you know um you you end up with um shows that people can't hear properly and also can't see properly because they've not been done or signed off in an environment that truly represents how the majority of people are actually going to see it so what remote workflow has done is actually now the clients are seeing and hearing material exactly the way that the average person is. They're seeing off their phone, off their iPad, off their TV screen uh, at home. They're listening to it off their AirPods or off their sound bar or you know off the TV's built-in speakers, and you know and they're watching it in daylight. Yeah, rather than a darkened room with sympathetic lighting. So there's uh, there's so many benefits because you can actually head off all this criticism of our industry with remote workflow. There's there's massive benefits. 
um, in my opinion, about doing it. Because I actually, you know, you go get back to concentrating on the fact that it's a product that you're you're delivering, and uh, that product has to succeed. It has to work. And, you know, above it being art. I mean, if you look at um, Banksy, um, that's an artist who, that's a classic example of an artist who was just doing it originally for the art, but then realized that if he wanted to continue doing it for the art, he needed to earn some money as well. So uh, that's always the trade-off of our industry. But, you know, we, we, we can never lose sight of who the person paying our paycheck is it's the end consumer so we have to make stuff that they are able to consume easily um and without making them feel left out and this is the brilliant part of remote workflow it's it's actually got the producers and the directors back onto the same page as the audience in my opinion um, you know, so I think it, it, there's a lot of positives to come out of it. And I think um, a lot of people are too keen to grab on the negatives, which actually are cancelled out if you get it right. So, yeah, it, it, and it, it doesn't actually, it doesn't take completely changing everything you do in order to do this either. It, just a few tweaks here and there and it all works. I mean, that's the thing. Let's talk about some of the specifics. Obviously, the recent pandemic situation affected the industry massively. There's been a lot of necessities and it has accelerated the innovation in workflows and different thinkings and paradigms and also various product solutions, hardware, software, etc. Could you open up a curtain a little bit and maybe just give us a, um, a little overview of what you like to use? Um, I know you're consulting for Source Connect um, and they're providing uh, solutions for remote collaboration. In fact, the, the very podcast you're listening to right now is being recorded through Source Connect as we speak. I guess there's a number of components. There's the software that you need to use. There's obviously the way how you use it. There's also logistical element to it and um, hardware. So there are different types of jobs that you have to do as well. And obviously not everything always works for the, every single situation. So um, could you talk a little bit through um, what's your preferred method? Um? <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's... there's, there's... It, as I said before, it's not really rocket science. All you have to keep in mind is the imperative that you're trying to make it as normal for everybody involved as possible. So there's some core basics. So if you are interacting with somebody, um, it's important that you can be heard properly um, and also that you can do so without, say, having to raise your voice or, you know, all these sort of things. So, I mean, I've got a 50-pound um, uh, uh, cord uh, headset mic, which I'm not using at the moment. I'm using a nice big fat condenser mic. But the, um, the, 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 the great thing about that is that it's wireless, uh, it's on a zero latency RF link, so it's not Bluetooth or anything like that. Um, so, and uh, it and it and it's comfortable to wear for extended periods of time as well. So, it what it means is that I can talk at this level of voice with everybody else I'm collaborating with, and it makes a huge difference because if you've got somebody going 
Yeah. Uh, so hang on a sec. Yeah. Okay. Could you could you do that line again? Then it's it's it spoils the mood, and it spoils the collaboration. So there's lots of little psychological things. So the little bits of also making sure that I've got um, I've got an uninterruptible power supply. I've got a failover internet connection. So basically, I've got every kind of insurance I've got against things going wrong. So practice makes perfect. So it's the worst thing in the world is to be thrown into a session where the client and the artist have never used the setup that you're about to use before. And that's a, that's a nightmare because, you know, you got the whole thing of, well, have you reached your mic correctly? No, okay, right. Uh, I think you're muted. Um, okay, all that sort of stuff. Or, you know, um, can you plug your laptop into a, you know, a wired connection rather than using the Wi-Fi from the other end of the house while your kids are homeschooling and, and you know, and your wife is watching Joe Wicks. Um, you know, that's the thing. It's, so there's all manner of little things that can, you know, make a session go wrong. It's become a running joke the last year. So, and the way you get around that is that you are very careful. You put a lot of research into what you can use and what works. You have to do a lot of practice. Uh, you know, find a find a buddy, uh, do some test connections with them, and and do that sort of stuff. I know not everybody has the luxury of being having you know a tame voiceover artist hand or another a peer who has the time to be able to do this, but it really, really is important because that then inspires confidence from the client and the artist in you. So um, also, the if you go and use, you know, uh, a, a, an off-the-shelf, in, in quotation marks, domestic solution, you know, the, the, there's no reason why the client wouldn't go, oh, well, you know, I can use that. Why are we, why are we employing this person to sort it out? Um, so, yeah, go for something that is actually designed to do the job that you're trying to do. Uh, so, you know, like the Source Element software, I mean, they've been for, since 2005, they've been the, the, the saviour of remote workflow, absolutely, in terms of actually getting audio and video in sync properly at reliable quality um, across the world. And, uh, yeah, there's nothing really that comes close Um these guys have really, really, really thought through what people are trying to achieve. And they are very eager to talk to people who are at the coalface, who are actually doing this day in, day out, which is why I got involved because, you know, I've been using their software a lot. Um, and uh, basically, they, they, you know, they said, oh, well, do you want to try out this beta? Do you want, you know, this, this sort of thing? And, you know, there's tips and tricks. Yeah, tips and tricks going back and forth between the two as well. And it just seemed the, the natural thing to do because, I mean, I mean, I know what the industry needs to happen uh, and, and they know how to do that. Um, they've got the, the brains to be able to do that. So, yeah, I think um, using stuff like Source Elements, actually 
you know, if you need to lay out some money, I think it's worth doing because I think it, it, it inspires confidence in you from the clients. They say, you know, well, they, you know, this person has got together specific specialized equipment and software in order to service our specialized and specific needs. Um, you know, you don't, um, you know, you, you don't turn up for a, for um, a, a cleaning job at, at a major office armed with uh, you know, an Asda vacuum cleaner. You know, it's that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I would definitely recommend Source Connect, Source Connect, and Source Elements software. There's a whole raft of stuff. It's not just things like Source Connect that they they do. Um, they also do an awful lot of other things that really help when you are trying to set this sort of thing up. So there's there's Source Nexus, which is basically uh, a brilliant internal routing system uh, within your computer. Uh, there's a Windows version of that coming out soon as well, which is which will be a, a great boon to a lot of people. Um, there's uh, a thing called Source Talkback, which uh, again uh, you can map any of your keyboard keys to um, or, or MIDI input to this uh, plugin, uh, which you know then passes audio when you hit talk, but it also links into your monitoring chain so it can dim the monitoring. So there's all sorts of great little uh, things there. They also do a plugin called, or a piece, an app called uh, Source LTC, which can which can in both directions do, uh, convert uh, MIDI timecode to linear timecode, and vice versa. Uh, so there's so many little things. I mean, they've really thought it through. They've thought about how can we make life easier at every at every step. And how can we make it easier to interface with our core product, which is Source Connect? And so, in in that respect, I mean, they they are just so far ahead of of everybody else. And also, they've been doing it for so long as well. They're really uh, great support uh, and such like that. So, yeah, I would say, yeah, if you if you're doing this professionally, get professional software, um, especially as also some of the major studios have uh, banned some of the uh, domestic uh, software as well. So, uh, Alan, you kind of very much represent the film industry, um, Bjorn. I'm I'm curious uh, to hear what's your perspective. You kind of um, potentially dealing with similar problems, but um, for for the gaming industry. And and I even know the story where you had to kind of host uh, like a local Danish uh, voice celebrity uh, to record a voiceover for the game. Um, what's your experience uh, been like during the pandemic? Uh, in in the beginning, it was kind of kind of weird because uh, previously a lot of the companies where I have applied for jobs or not applied for a job, but they've been in touch with them in regards to maybe doing some work for them. They've always been, oh, but we require that you are on location. Um, and they want want you to come to their studio. You apparently have to be there all the time. I get why it's important to be face-to-face sometimes and talk to people, but it's everybody I know in the industry has experienced the moment where they're like, but I could do this at home especially in the game industry where probably, uh, I don't know, half the people or even more of the people working in the game, game audio industry have better studios and better equipped studios and rooms at home than they actually are provided by the company they work for. 
a lot of these companies, they are suddenly now completely open to the fact that, oh, you want to work remote. Okay, that's cool. Let's do it. Uh, so at least COVID brought a lot of clients to me that way, because apparently now it's it's a completely normal thing to do and the companies are prepared for it. And I think a lot of companies right now have been witnessing that it is possible to have remote people work. I mean, remote work isn't necessarily for everybody. Some people need an office to go into. Some people need an office once in a while. Some people need a manager that can bump their head whenever they aren't, aren't doing their thing. But in the long run, I think that, that remote work is here to not only stay, but to be used even more than it was before. Um, but also to get back to the story that you mentioned about um, back when COVID hit, there was a company that got in touch with me who wanted to finish up the dialogue for their game and they were using local actors in my neighborhood. And they, the studio that they were planning to use was closed, so they asked if they could do it at my house, um, which um, goes along with what Alan was saying in regards to that it's important that the artist, the voice actor, the client, and everybody is satisfied with the eventual end product. And I tried to explain to this client that I do have a sound design studio, but I do not have a proper recording booth for dialogue. And they said, oh, they were willing to, to dumb down on the quality a little bit so that they could, they could get this over with because they were really interested in have the game out on time. And they kept saying this, that they were willing to dumb down or dump the quality a little bit. And for every demo I sent them in regards to my voice, they kept coming back to me saying that, oh, there's a little too much reverb here. There's a little too much of this. And oh, okay, do you have better isolation? Do you have a better microphone? Do you have this and that? And eventually I actually had to say like, but then you're not willing to go down on quality, which is a good thing for them. But they... They really wanted it to work out of the box, but then I guess realized in the end that to make a proper recording, they would need someone with a proper studio or proper recording facilities and so on. Because in the beginning, when they said they were willing to go down on quality, they were asking me if it was possible to go to the uh, voice actor's house because he or she had a basement that we could record this in. And I was kind of, I mean try not to laugh, but to tell them that that's going to be impossible to go to some person's house who does not have any sort of acoustic treatment and then make a recording that's going to be even remotely okay to be used in any final release product. But remote work is good for me because I run a remote outsourcing studio. So it's it's been really good for me at least. And Stuff like Source Connect, Skype, and all those tools have been used on a daily basis here at my office. So, yeah, uh, as far as my experience goes and what, what we've been up to at 1618, um, I guess we, we've come across two situations mainly. Um, and one is um, um, assisting clients with podcast production. And uh, basically, what we did, we just supplied um, a USB mics or maybe kind of helped out uh people uh, remotely to kind of to set them up if you say if they might have like uh inclination to try a more complex setup where you might require like an interface and a, another mic and as long as you have a decent uh recording system 
locally, then there's a plethora of various software solutions that will capture that audio signal that you're recording. And um, that does a job. And then, you know, then as an engineer, you can sit on a session and just quietly make sure that there's no internet connection dropping. There's no weird artifacts happening because things happen regardless, you know, and it's good just to make sure that everybody's actually recording and, you know, there's, there's no silly mistakes being made because, uh, you know, a lot of time can be wasted. So that the host and the guest and whoever's involved can just focus on, you know, the editorial and the creative and the, the conversation. Um, and I guess the second kind of quite common scenario um, that happened was where um, doing uh, review sessions with the clients. And uh, I actually would like to give a shout out to Audio Movers, which is a nice, nice little solution. Uh, it, essentially, it's, it's, it's just a plugin that sits on your master bus and um, you copy the link and you share it with whoever is tuning into the session. And I've personally come across a scenario where the content was being reviewed by a client and uh, to my <laughs> rather big surprise, um, I saw 12 people on the call, um, you know, um, all kind of the hierarchy producers and creative directors and whatnot, and um, just tuning in and sort of chipping in their opinions and, and whatnot. And um, Zoom has been exceptional at making sure you can just communicate, have like a video reference uh, with a lot of people being on the call without like choking and, and crashing and, and whatnot. Um, and the Audio Movers plugin would then provide high-res audio stream. And because we work with immersive content and uh, essentially picking up two channels from the binaural decoder and say if um, we're also sharing the screen and if we do like um, move the, you know, the 360 image of the video, they, they get all the dynamic panning binaurally as a high-res audio. There's a little bit of latency, but you can tweak uh, Zoom and uh, audio movers to kind of match them up a little bit. And it's it's been quite effective. People didn't complain. They could see, they could hear, and they could communicate and kind of discuss things as a team. So um, I'm always kind of keen to try new things and see what's out there. And uh, inevitably, they will be improving um, and and changing as we go along. But those are the ones that kind of I've personally come across. As somebody who worked in the film industry for decades, I'd like to get your perspective on to what extent spatial audio has become a required standard as opposed to some exotic option that is like complicated and expensive. Uh, is being able to work with Dolby Atmos, binaural audio and other immersive formats you know, more established ones or more esoteric ones is an absolute must, uh, imperative these days if you're a modern dubbing mixer or, or even like a mixing engineer for music? Um, well, I, yeah, it's it, it, anything, I think it's important to keep an eye on anything that further engages your audience in the sound. So in terms of, I mean, one of the, horrible things that happened when uh, things like Facebook and Instagram and, and such started um, uh, showing trailers and adverts and such like that is they were generally subtitled. And so nobody had any incentive to hit the unmute button on the, on the video. So people weren't listening to it. And... Um, what I think that 
things like Dolby Atmos, object-based audio in general, has really brought to our industry is a renewed interest in sound. Um, And the great thing about it is that Atmos and object-based audio is that it's scalable. So it doesn't, if your end listener hasn't got 7.1.4 or an up-firing sound bar or anything like that, they can still hear it in a form that will be, uh, it'll be different, but it'll be very close to the original. So, uh, and one of the great things with Dolby Atmos, certainly, is just how much effort they've put into ensuring that um, people can have a comparative experience regardless of what they're listening on. Um, and so, I mean, I did a, a, a horror short film um, last year for a client, and they just originally wanted a, a stereo mix for online and a 5.1 mix if they got into festivals. And I said, well, tell you what, I'm going to do it in Atmos, um, and, uh, you know, just let me know. It's future-proof. Yeah, yeah it's future-proof. It's, it's an Atmos stream, so if you show it in a full cinema that you can take full advantage of all the speakers that are in it. If you're showing it on online and people are listening on headphones, it 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 feels it, 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 there's a good feeling to it. And and for, for as a mix from a mixer's point of view, I've actually found it's uh really exciting to actually then have to think about the perspectives and the placement of the objects and the, the and the point sources of audio, you really have to stop and think. Okay, would that be coming over my left shoulder, my right shoulder? Where, how far away would it seem? How big would it seem? Uh, and such like that. And it really hope, helps focus the mind on telling the story with the sound. And so, when I did this horror film, uh, the client was only reviewing on headphones, and um, but they were saying like. It, this is brilliant. This has really brought the film alive because now we've got a real sense of distance, whether something's close, whether something's breathing down your neck, all this sort of stuff, even on headphones, even watching on a phone. And um, that's, in my opinion, I think mixers, audio technicians, everybody has to be aware of this because it is really in their interest to, in order to get people interested in sound again. Um, I mean, you know, Android phones have had uh, Atmos decoding for about three years now. Um, Apple have just got onto the scene with their latest AirPods. Uh, so this is all filtering down to, you know, the the, the standard market. So, um, you know, and also it falls nicely into the sort of consumer product refresh cycle. So, you know... Um, you know, there was a point where everybody bought stereo TVs. There was a point where everybody bought uh, flat screens. Uh, now, now there's a point where everybody is, you know, when they buy a big flat screen, they get a soundbar to go with it. So, and odds are, and and also, I mean, the the price point at which the up-firing soundbars uh, comes in at, that that's lowering as well. So it's all becoming more accessible, and it's doing it actually in a sort of stealth manner in that, yeah, the public's not really noticing in that. So, you know, they haven't got to have a 
running argument with their partner about where they're going to screw some speakers into the ceiling or run cables around the lounge. They can just listen to their soundbar, be immersed in sound, get be involved with the plot and the story and everything that's to do with the production. So they then feel that they're getting more value from the production, whether it's a piece of music, whether it's a documentary or a scripted piece or a big action film. They feel more invested into it. They feel like they're getting more for their money. And that's a great thing because then that builds client loyalty to that. And then that's something also that the producers notice. So then when you go to them and say, right, we're going to do this in Atmos because it involves the audience, they are then up to speed with that concept. So, yeah, I think this is, I think. Immersive audio, object-based audio, is actually one of the um, the big leaps that the audio industry has made in the last couple of decades. Uh, flat speaker systems like 5.1, 7.1, uh, yeah, they require you to either be in a specialist venue that's been set up properly or, you know, with a very um accepting partner in your house or or flatmates or roommates or whoever um in order to resolve properly whereas this works for everybody um and i think it's as big a leap in audience engagement as the original dolby stereo was back in the 70s so you know when everybody realized that the the big uh, empire destroyer at the beginning of star wars was coming from behind them and over their heads. You know, that's that sort of like, oh, hang on, stuff's going on around me. That, oh, wow. You know, it's making people jump. It's getting people involved, getting people into the story straight away. And I think that's 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 all to be embraced um, and, and to keep an open mind about. Because also, again, you don't really need a huge investment in equipment or software to actually get into this. You know, it's all very accessible from a, from a technician's point of view as well. So, yeah, I would definitely say get into immersive audio, especially if you are passionate about getting more audience engagement. Definitely get into it. it it's really something that you need to pay attention to. Yeah, I guess whoever's listening to this podcast have made a first step already somehow. <laughs> Let's hope so. Great. Um, well, um, Alan, we haven't got much time, but I just, I, I feel um, maybe there's another, there's a room for one more question because you obviously you you're a very busy professional and um, you do, you're doing TV drama shorts. You've seen all the changes in the in the past uh, several decades. I guess what I'm trying to get from you is this: what is the barometer in this very large and well-established world of 2D media and how immersive audio is penetrating th- that? I mean, we all know Dolby Atmos, and there, there are always going to be big titles, and but like maybe on a medium, even small scale, you know, like how often. Um, like a small title net commissioned by Netflix, and then like you have Dolby Atmos is actually uh, on the list for deliverables, and it's becoming a standard. I guess that's I'm kind of curious, and I know that audience will be curious about that. In reality, the cl- consumer doesn't really need to know um, because whatever they are listening on, they're going to get an equivalent, well, a comparable, I would say, uh, result to wherever 
anybody else is listening to it and on what they're listening to it on. Um, and that's the great thing. That's the really attractive thing from a distributor's and from a content producer's point of view is that they no, need to, no longer need to worry about the track layout on a video master. They don't need to worry about delivering separate stems for anything. They just now can deliver a file, one file that plays on anything. And that's the big attraction of this latest technology uh, for the consumers, for the dubbing mixers, for the sound engineers, for for everybody. You know, um, that it's all there's all a bonus that's involved with it. Um, the with uh, I've done a couple of uh, small music mixes uh, in Atmos as well, which is. Um, it's quite something for me because I, I haven't mixed music for 30 years. Um, but this has given me the sort of inspiration to actually go back and revisit some stuff. Uh, playing that has, to some people, has led to some interesting inquiries from some quite major artists about that. I've also noticed that um, a, a band that I'm very fond of, uh, Yellow, um, they have just released their latest album in uh, Dolby Atmos on Blu-ray. Um, and they're also going back through their back catalogue and remixing it into Dolby Atmos. I know that uh, other major artists are also exploring this as well because it, it it's like, um, I mean, I, I would love to hear some concert mixes in Atmos because this, that sense of space and sense of things going on around you uh, is great. I mean, that's why um, watching uh, the Olympics when it, the 2012 Olympics in in the UK, that was fantastic watching that because that was all done in 5.1, and you really felt like you were there. You felt like you were in the stadium, um, and that was the great thing. Uh, similarly, uh, on the other end of the scale, um, Strictly Come Dancing up until recently was in 5.1. And again, you felt like you were in the audience. You felt engaged. You felt drawn into it. So, yeah, I think the best thing that immersive audio can bring us is that audience engagement again. People think, you know, wanting to listen. Uh, and that can only do our industry good, I think, and it, on a, as a whole. Um, because it's, you know, and, and for productions... It's cheaper to do stuff in sound than it is on screen, as well. You know, it's that's it's definitely the case. I mean, you look at um, yeah, uh, there's one of the science fiction uh, series I've been watching recently. Um, uh, there's a situation where the one of the crew has to go out on a spacewalk outside the ship, and she says, "I'm activating my mag boots, yeah, my magnetic boots to hold her down out to the side of the ship." And then proceeds to walk like this sort of really pronounced sort of dunk. And that's all told in sound. That's got the, if you didn't have the sound going with her walking, you'd just be 
you, you just assume that she's got a very funny walk after a nasty medical procedure. You know, it's it's that's the thing. And there's so many little subtle ways that sound fills in the blanks, fills in the you know the the the, the appreciation. People make people when when you, when something's got a good sound mix, when something engages people it, it does it's been proved that um good sound can actually trigger a, a hormonal response in your brain and endorphins as well um yeah absolutely because it's a physiological process isn't it exactly you're getting nerve stimulation uh in in such a way that your eyes can't deliver you know they, your eyes are not well they are 3d you're stereoscopic but you know, you can't see behind you like you can hear behind you. Yeah, and to add to uh, a famous quote from George Lucas, sound is half a picture. Um, not only that you get 50% of your production contribution, you also get it for a fraction of a production budget, as it's always the case. Oh, yeah, well, that's always the thing. You you get, <laughs> you get no-budget uh, producers saying to you, oh, yeah, you know, sound is definitely 50% of the film, but we're only going to give you 1% of the budget. Mm, okay. <laughs> but, you know, that's the, that's the contradiction. But, you know, yeah, I, yeah, that's the thing. Um, definitely, it, it's, it is so worth um, keeping up with this stuff. Uh, definitely, it's, uh, and I think it's got a lot to give. Um, you know, if you were lucky enough to ever go and see um, Pink Floyd in concert live, um, they had a beautiful surround sound mix live, uh, which was so engaging. Um, and uh, yeah, and when you watch their concerts back now, uh, which, I mean, the most recent uh, Dave Gilmore one, uh, the recreation of the Pompeii concert that Pink Floyd did years and years ago. Uh, that's in Atmos. Um, you know, so again, you feel like you're there. You feel engaged. And it's another way of um, getting people uh, the, the, that, that group experience again that we've all been missing so much for the last year. You know, that's the way we can get that back. You know, we can have people being together but apart. Um, you know, and because they feel immersed in it, that can actually break down some of the physical distance and physical barriers. If they got easy, low latency communication in immersive audio between each other, it's like being there. It is literally like being there. And I think that can really help uh, repair some of the um, mental health damage that this pandemic has has inflicted on us as well. Uh, I think there's a lot that can be done with sound, uh, whether it's ASMR, whether it's meditation tapes, whether it's just, you know, the choice of the way that something's balanced in a mix. It, you know, everybody's got their, their favorite tune that they put on if they want to relax or if they want to, uh, I know I certainly have, but it's, it's a bit Unlikely as well, though, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, I think sound has the power to be able to help an awful lot with the with the with the national psyche and the human psyche as well. So I'm all for this uh, for the for the for for, for immersive audio and uh, trying to make trying to bring back some sort of group experience again. I, I think that's 
that's the way forward. You've shared a lot of wisdom with us uh, this evening already, but I'm just going to ask you one last question, which I always do. Can you give one piece of advice to somebody who's looking to get into the industry today? Well, it's difficult, really, because, I mean, I've been in the industry three decades and a lot has changed in the meantime. But um, the one thing that stands out to uh, perform uh, to, to employers... Uh, or colleagues or anything is passion. Believe in what you're doing, but also you know, don't ever be afraid to go to somebody and say, "Is it just me, or is this wrong?" You know, get other people's opinion, listen to their opinion, take it all on board, um, and that's the way to grow. Post production, especially, is a team sport. And it's not just the audio team as well. So you may think that the film editor's point of view on the sound is not as relevant as another sound person's, but actually it, it's more relevant. So look, take a step back from where you are and look at who you're collaborating with, who you trust, who you get advice from, and just be passionate about sound. Uh, certainly, definitely be passionate about it. Make it your life, uh, not to the detriment of your personal relationships or anything like that. But yeah, live it, breathe it, immerse yourself in it, you know, for, yeah, if you'll excuse the pun. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with being a sound nerd. Be proud of it. And uh, yeah. And be confident in in uh, what you believe and and what you feel is, is how to get things right. Don't always search for a, a magic bullet solution. Try and work through a problem, and that sort of thing is what impresses employers and collaborators the most. Is that you know you, when you actually have independent thought about the process and such like that, and then you're passionate about it, that's what that's what stands out, definitely. Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this evening. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Take care. Before you go, we want to hear from you. If you'd like to let us know what you think about our show, please take the quick survey in this episode's description. It'll help us make the immersive audio podcast even better. We really appreciate your feedback. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Bjorn Jacobson. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit 1618digital.com slash immersive audio podcast to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.
I'm Emily Reese from the podcast Level with Emily Reese, and I interview people who make audio for games, mostly composers. Our newest episode features composer Gordy Hab about his music for Star Wars Squadrons, which is absolutely outstanding. You can find us at patreon.com slash level and levelwithemily.com. Hi, this is Michael Helms, host of the Location Sound Podcast. My recent guest is production sound mixer Jimmy Seiska, based out of Los Angeles, California. We talk about recording sound on the Bravo series Below Deck Mediterranean and the Amazon series The Pack, hosted by Lindsey Vaughn. Check out the latest episode. Hi, this is Christian from the Sound Effect Podcast. In our latest episode, you'll hear Sergio Diaz and Zach Sievers talk about their sound design and mixing work on Gold Lion winning feature film Nomadland. Check it out at soundeffect.com forward slash podcast. Hey everybody, this is Tim from Tone Menders. In our latest episode, we talk with four-time Oscar winner Richard King. He tells us about the ultra-complicated sound for Christopher Nolan's latest film, Tenant. We talk about creating interesting sound design for scenes happening in reverse, how to build cinematic body punches, and his thoughts on the controversy over the film's dialogue mix. Listen wherever you find podcasts or at tonebenderspodcast.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Hughes, host of the Sound Architect podcast, where I interview audio professionals around the world about their projects, their careers, and their advice. I've spoken to some of the most amazing sound designers on the top games, TV shows, and movies of our time. Our guests also include some of the biggest composers of our generation, and some of the most amazing voice actors I've ever spoken to. Catch the Sound Architect podcast wherever you listen to your podcast or at our website, www.thesoundarchitect.co.uk. See you there. In our modern lives, we spend so much time thinking about what things look like that we tend to forget about our incredible sense of hearing. That's where we come in. I'm Dallas Taylor, and I'm the host of 20,000 Hertz, a podcast that reveals the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. In each episode, we chase down the hidden backstory behind a famous sound or sonic phenomenon. We followed sound designer Ben Burt on his hunt for the sound effects of Star Wars. He was hiking, and his backpack caught on a, a guy wire that was leading up to a radio tower, and he heard what sounded like a blaster sound. We found out that dinosaurs probably didn't sound anything like Jurassic Park. If we were around when T-Rex was around, we might feel these sounds of the largest dinosaurs more than we would hear them through our ears. We've tracked down the origins of a drum sample that's been used in hundreds of hip-hop and electronic songs. During that time, everybody had drum breaks. And we had been doing songs where Greg would play these drum beats. We've explored the challenges of interplanetary communication. It's pretty amazing to think that I could be on Mars and say, Houston, I have a problem. And it'll be 40 minutes before they get back and say, what's up? And we've revealed how the Netflix audio logo almost included the sound of a goat. For a while, we were stuck on that goat sound. I thought that would be a good time. (laughs) This year on 20,000 Hertz, we'll uncover the origins of even more iconic sounds. Our dog. We'll also hear from a few surprise guests. In this run of Daffy, he's not the greedy money. Ooh, that's mine. Give that to me. We're bringing him back to the, uh, I'm Daffy. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. You know, 
Uh, we are all time travelers going one way. Subscribe to 20,000 Hertz wherever you get your podcasts. That's 20,000 Hertz spelled out without any numbers. Once you see our swirly purple icon, you'll know you're in the right place. And if you're already a fan of the show, tap the share button in your podcast player and post this trailer on Facebook or Twitter, or text it to someone directly who you think would love this show. 